What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That is where we post all of our baseball content, podcasts, articles, news and notes throughout the season. Everything that we got on the baseball side does get shared out over there, so make sure you guys are checking out Ethos Fantasy BB. If you are not somebody who uses Twitter, please do go to sportsethos.com and check out everything we got over there. We have in-season tools now available for our NBA side, for our fantasy basketball content, lineup analyzers, uh, sit-start decisions, ads, drops there. We have a ton of new technology. I haven't even had the chance to really play with all of it because it just came out over the last couple days but it's a fun time here at Sports Ethos. We're hoping to have some kind of technology available for next fantasy basketball season. I'm not sure exactly what it'll look like, but for the coming baseball season, I do want to have some some tools to go along with the analysis that we have from our different writers and podcasters here. I do want to have some actual technology that'll help you out, uh, similar to what the guys over at Fantasy Pros have and some sites. Uh, we're working on something like that. So it's a fun time over here at Sports Ethos. Make sure you guys are checking out everything that we have going on. Now, today we are going to start our shortstop review. Shortstop is a very deep position. It's going to be losing one or two names, which is kind of the way positions generally work. Even at the top, sometimes players gain and lose eligibilities, and that's fine because there will be new guys that are coming in to take the spots of those players. We had nine shortstops finish in the top 100 this year. Of course, uh, we are using Yahoo's rankings. That's what we've been doing for this process of looking back at each position. We're looking at Yahoo's standard rankings in category leagues to see how players did over the course of the season. Generally talk about their performance, just you know how it went, why it went the way it did. And we're also talking a little bit about how I view them for 2024 as well. Now, we're going to talk about these players again come January, February, March, once the season gets ramped up. So if you are... Currently, somebody who just kind of, you know, barely hanging on, kind of just like, oh, I want to know about these players, but this isn't really the time of year for baseball for me. I, I don't really want to have to be taking notes and whatever right now. That's totally understandable. We are going to talk about these players again from a team context, from a position context, and we're also going to do something where we look at each individual stat in the preseason. We're going to talk about players that are good for the run category, for the RBI category, stolen bases, average, saves. We're going to go... We're going to look at this from every angle possible, so by team, by position, by stat. So if you did miss something, uh, fear not. We are going to be doing a lot of off-season episodes. There will be well over 100 where we talk about everything to do with pretty much every single player in the league I want to get through. Not the platoon bats who are batting eighth and playing 30 games in Washington, but we're, you know, we're going to be talking about the vast majority of players here, specifically the fantasy-relevant ones. But we're going to kick it off today with shortstop, with the number one-ranked shortstop on the season and that is Mr. Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts was incredible this season. No question about it. He is arguably, now I, I'm not making the argument, but a lot of people have. Uh, he's arguably the National League MVP. I don't think it's going to happen. I, again, I don't think it should happen, but he put up a season that is very MVP worthy. 39 homers. He had 14 steals, 126 runs, 107 RBI, and he batted 307. This was Probably the best season of Mookie's career outside of his MVP year, and you could argue that it was pretty much just as good as his MVP year. I know the batting average wasn't quite as high, but you know he had more home runs. He had pretty much the same number of runs. He had way more RBI. Uh, overall, he was pretty much just as good. I'm not going to argue if you want to say 2018 was better because he was brilliant. He had higher WAR. 
Uh, but this was an incredible season for Mookie Betts. Now, he ended the year with right field, second base, and shortstop eligibility. I should say outfield eligibility, but he was playing uh, predominantly in right field this season. But also, having eligibility at those other positions was incredible for Mookie Betts. Now, coming into next year, if we're just talking about NFBC leagues, Mookie is going to be outfield, and he is going to be uh, second base. That shortstop is tricky. And again, this goes back to the site you play on. Uh, if it's NFBC, he's not going to have it because he only appeared there 16 times. But if you're talking about your Yahoo's of the world, your ESPNs, your CBSs, he should qualify at all three of those positions. Had never played shortstop before in the big leagues, but 16 times will get you there uh, on Yahoo and some of those shallower platforms. Second base, he'd also not had that on NFBC platforms going back to pretty much ever. Uh, he played there 14 times as a rookie. He'd appeared there occasionally, especially since he came to the Dodgers. We've seen him 15 times there over the last three years. But they were kind of shorthanded this year and asked him to do a lot more, and that will help us from a fantasy point of view. It only just makes Mookie that much more valuable. Now, if you're playing NFBC, he doesn't have shortstop. It's not the end of the world because, like I just said, shortstop is an incredibly deep position. But second base is not nearly as deep. If you are taking Mookie in the first round, which is obviously where he's going, he's going to be a top-five pick. He will go in some drafts number two overall behind Ronald Acuna Jr. That's where he is going to be placed in drafts this upcoming season, and there's hard, it's hard to make an argument against it, really. Having him as second base in that spot is really valuable, and if you're in a five-outfielder league where maybe you don't, second base, you don't have to worry about so much because you just have one second base spot and five outfielder slots to fill, then you can put Mookie in the outfield because it is going to be a position of more need for you and for everybody. So that right there is a huge piece of his value. I mean, put aside the fact that he is one of the best pure baseball players in the game, the fact that he plays on an incredible perennial 100-win team, the eligibility is really good. And you know, I will go back and forth, depending on the player, depending on the round, the situation, what I think about eligibility. Sometimes I think it's overblown. In this case, I think it could actually be pretty valuable, especially depending on what format you are in. Specifically, like I said, if you just have that one second base slot to fill, and maybe you, know, you have a custom Yahoo league, which is this is what my home league looks like. We have no middle infield slots. We have no corner infield slots. We have, the, you know, first, second, third, short. We have now five outfielders. So we've expanded to five outfielders in that league just to make it a little bit deeper. So in that kind of format, you take Mookie in the first round, then he is probably your outfielder. You can find one replacement level or even above replacement level second baseman, but to have five outfielders is a little bit tricky. That is where the value lies in Mookie is the versatility on top of the 40 home runs, the double-digit steals, the above 300 batting average, and the 233 runs and RBIs combined. The guy was just incredible. No reason to think it's going to be terribly different next year. We've talked about the possibility, and at this point, probability, that Shohei Otani is going to be slotted into that lineup, probably one spot behind him. I'm not sure how it's going to shake out with him and Freddie Freeman and Will Smith and everybody else there. But this is going to be a very good team, whether or not Otani comes. But either way, Mookie is going to be a top five pick next season, and it's very justified. He is coming off of, like I said, one of the best years of his career. All signs point to him being able to continue that for at least a few more seasons. He is only 30. Sorry, he just turned 31 last month. So this is his age 31 season coming up still right in the smack of the prime. Uh, I'd be looking for another fairly big year out of Mookie Betts coming in 2024. Let's move on to number two, and we've talked about him already a little bit, and that's Bobby Witt Jr. We talked about him because he had third base eligibility this past come, uh, this past season, so we did talk about him very recently on a show uh, when we did our third base review. So we don't need to spend a ton of time on Bobby Witt. We did talk about him uh, already, but you know, just to say 
Bobby Witt is going to be another guy who is in contention for that number two draft slot behind Ronald Acuna. Because I think Ronald Acuna is, you know, we're at the we're at the point where I don't think you can really justify taking anybody else at number one. You could maybe, you know, galaxy brain yourself into another idea, but I don't think it really makes a lot of sense. It's pretty much coming down to at this point who is the number two in your draft. And Bobby Witt Jr. is as good of an option as anybody. He cut his strikeout rate, he raised his walk rate. He went up across the board in terms of all five Roto stats in just eight more games. You're looking at 10 more homers, 15 more runs, 16 more RBI, 19 more steals, which is a huge part, and he raised the batting average by 22 points. Now, will the batting average keep going up? We've talked about this. I don't think he's more than probably about a 270 to 275 range, best case scenario. So this is probably... Probably what you're going to be looking at going forward, if not even maybe a little bit lower. I wouldn't be looking at a 20-point increase in his batting average and say, well, from 254 to 276, next year we're probably looking at 300. I wouldn't say that with Bobby Witt Jr., but he has shown that he can return great value, even counting stat-wise, in a terrible lineup. I was kind of surprised in 2022 that he had 82 and 80 runs in RBI, and he just increased those totals while the team around him was terrible. So there's no real team context worry there when the talent is so high in Bobby Witt Jr., I love him. And now, like I mentioned, off the top, he did have third base eligibility last year to go along with shortstop in 2023. This year, he will just be looking at shortstop eligibility. He did not play third even one time. 149 appearances at short, and he was a DH 10 times as well. So that's something to keep in mind if you are drafting early. A lot of these sites, and especially NFBC that I'm looking at, they still have last year's position eligibility up. So if you are drafting, just be sure you're not taking Bobby Witt in the first round and saying, I got my third baseman. Because once those eligibilities get updated throughout the offseason, you will not be able to put Bobby Witt in your third base slot for next year. But everything points to him just being able to maintain this 30-ish home run pace with maybe 45 to 50 steals in that range. And maybe we'll make, say 40 to 50 because you know 49 is a hard number to achieve. I'm not sure he'll be able to do it again to the same extent. But I think in this range of pretty much everything, from homers to batting average, counting stats, everything, I think you're probably going to see something in a very similar range uh, for the 2024 season with Bobby Wood Jr. Let's move on to number three, and the number three shortstop for this season is the guy who's probably become the safest early-round pick in my eyes over the last couple of fantasy seasons, and that's Marcus Semien. He is just the face of consistency. 162 games seems to be what he does every single year. Now, I've this has become a catchphrase of mine, pretty much, that past slash previous health is not an indicator of future health. But Marcus Semien, if you look back over the past five full seasons, and I'm excluding the 2020 shortened season, he's played 159, 162, 162, 161, and 162. He's just consistently on the field. He is a great defender, so he's not somebody you want to get out of the lineup. And obviously his bat is just excellent. He just seems to be getting better with age almost. Now that power season that he had with the Blue Jays seemed to have been an outlier, 45 home runs, but you're getting 25 to 30 home runs, 100 runs, 100 RBIs are pretty much, you can write that down before the season, considering the volume and considering the good lineup he plays in. Plus, you're getting steals and a good batting average. Everything, everything is really solid with Marcus Simeon. He plays for a great team. They're currently in the World Series. It looks like a decent chance that they are going to win the World Series, just being a couple of wins away now, and Marcus Simeon will be a huge part of that. Now, he is going to come into next year just as a second base eligible guy. Now, this is something, like I said, that's going to happen. We're reviewing positions. We're talking about what happened this year and where guys were eligible this season. But going into next year, obviously, he will not have shortstop eligibility because of Corey Seager. 
That doesn't matter. Even at second base, it's almost better that he's just second. Not that he's just second base, but it's fine that he's second base eligible. Like if he had both, sure, you're you're not going to complain about that. But he's losing the weaker of the two positions in terms of what you're looking for. You want to have those the weaker positions uh, eligibility still. Shortstop is loaded. You can find a shortstop. Second base, maybe not so much. Like not to say that there's no second baseman, but it's certainly a weaker position than shortstop. And getting Marcus Semien. Still feels like kind of like a discounted price. I'm just going to pull up the ADPs, the early ADPs that we have. And, I, and I've warned a couple of times, but I'll say it again here in case you've missed any of the other shows. These early ADPs are going to change. They're not necessarily a reflection of the whole community. They're likely not. We're talking about four, five drafts at this point. There's a fifth draft that has been completed that we can look at. But it's still not... Uh, a situation where you can say this is where they're going to be going next year with 100% certainty. Now, that being said, Marcus Simeon's ADP is 31.6 with a minimum pick of 23 and a maximum pick of 40. So you're getting him somewhere and talking 15 teams in the early part of the third round. You'll take that. You'll take that every day considering the consistency and the stat line you get out of Marcus Simeon. He was a first-round player this year. Yahoo has him as their number 12th-ranked player Overall, it's hard to argue there. 122 runs, 100 RBI, 29 homers, and 14 stolen bases. The face of consistency at the position, and even though it's a different position, you know, at second base where he's he's played both positions over the years, but now with just second base, it, it really doesn't matter to me uh, in terms of his value. He is still just as good as always. Even though he's losing that position, I'm still taking him where he's going in the third round, and I think you could even justify it late second round. No problem there as far as I'm concerned. Now, in a 12-teamer, again, it kind of varies a little bit. Uh, probably early third round in a 12-teamer would make sense, early to mid-third, like in that 25 to 30 range. But even if you're taking them 23 or 24, uh, based on these f- previous few seasons and based on what we saw this year, there's no reason to think that that wouldn't be a good investment. The strikeout rate went down. The walk rate went up. Things you like to see. Sustainable BABIP numbers. Everything was just really good across the board. So Marcus Semien remains a very, very safe pick there for me. Uh, at the second base position, which I know a shortstop review uh, next year will be second base, but I am a big fan nonetheless. Let's talk Francisco Lindor. He is also somebody who is incredibly consistent, and he flew under the radar this year, and I think a good part of that is because the team. The team was just terrible. People kind of tuned out the Mets midseason because they knew that there wasn't much that they were playing for this year, and it's hard to blame fans of the team. Now, us who were having him in fantasy leagues, we saw the production. We saw what he did the entire year. He gave you 30-30 for the first time in his career. 31 homers, 31 stolen bases. 108 runs scored, 98 RBI, and a two fifty four batting average. The batting average thing with Lindor, I think we just kind of have to come to terms, and maybe we have already, that he's not going to be the guy he was in his first couple seasons in terms of very high batting averages. First four or five seasons, you're looking at, well, for the first couple seasons, above 300, 313, and then 301. And then 273, 277, 284. These last few years, we've seen 258, 230, 270, and 254. So I don't think that we're going to see him return to those same heights necessarily. He ran some pretty high BABIPs, but it doesn't even really matter. This team is still going to be very good. And I know there's been talk of, oh, they're going to trade Alonzo. They're going to tear it down. I would be really surprised if they trade Pete Alonzo. I'd be very surprised if they do anything in the direction of tearing the team down. I think they're just going to try and add. There's still an outside chance they get Otani. 
I, I think that they are just going to try and keep adding pieces. They're not going to just lay down and die after spending all this money, specifically on Lindor. Lindor's got $341 million under his belt uh, through 2031. Alonzo, I mean, I just, I just can't see him getting moved. If he does get moved, we'll reevaluate a little bit there. But just in terms of what you're getting from Lindor, a 30-30 player who's going to be a perennial threat for 100 and 100, you love what you're getting out of him. And you're not paying a terrible, terrible premium on Francisco Lindor either. Now, again, I'll reference these early numbers. He's going as the 25th player off the board overall. If you're getting him in that late second round, maybe even early third, because his max pick is early third, uh, 33 overall, then he's another guy that you feel very comfortable taking there, considering what you are likely to get out of him in that lineup or in any lineup. It doesn't matter. You know, they're not trading Lindor, but <clears throat> he's not dependent on the team for value. I think, that, you know, you look at what he did in a, in a year where the Mets were a bad team, even just volume stat-wise, 108 runs and 98 RBI. What's not to like there? You're taking that, even if the Mets did have another down year next year, it, it's not going to preclude Lindor from having value. He plays a lot of games. He's very good on both sides of the ball. He's another guy that they're not going to take out of the lineup unless they need to. 160 and 161 over the last two seasons. He's durable, he's talented, and he's on a team that I think will just improve next season. Don't expect the Mets to be bad again. Don't expect that for a lot of the teams who are bad this year. As a side note, uh, the Cardinals were pretty terrible, mostly due to their pitching. They're going to sign a couple pitchers. They're going to be a better team next year. I wouldn't expect the Yankees or the Red Sox to be as bad next season. Um, the, the San Diego Padres, I don't think they're going to do as poorly as they did last year. Expect a lot of these teams that had these outlier bad seasons to kind of turn it around. The Mets, if they have even like, uh, you know, a slightly better team next year, you could see Lindor maybe hit 120 runs like he did in those Cleveland years. He had 129 runs in 2018. Different in offensive environment around baseball, but we could see it. We could definitely see in that 115 to 120 run range if the Mets are a little more competent offensively next season. Let's move on to number five and a guy who probably would have been number, maybe not number one because he doesn't steal bases, but a guy who certainly, if he played a whole season, would have been at worst, like the number two shortstop, and that is Corey Seager. Corey Seager finished as the number 21 overall player this year, despite missing about a quarter of the season, which is just ridiculous. The, the numbers that he put up, I know you can't really necessarily prorate numbers. Uh, you know, a guy plays half a season, you just multiply it by two. It doesn't always work like that. But you're looking at about a 50 home run pace with a 327 batting average from Corey Seager. He's carried it into the playoffs. He's hitting home runs. It seems like every game in the postseason, uh, he did hit one yesterday that put the Diamond, excuse me, that uh, put the Rangers ahead of the Diamondbacks. And he just seems like he is in that incredible prime mode right now. Like he is right at the height of his powers here at age 29. He's going to be 30 at the start of next season or about a, three weeks a month into next season. And he is going to be primed to do exactly what he is doing, as long as he's healthy. That has been the thing with Corey Seager, that we have had some kind of shoddy health throughout his career. There have been seasons where he's played 26 games, where he's played 27 games. I mean, we, we don't know 100% on the health side, but assuming he's healthy, which you know it looks like, knock on wood, he'll go into next season healthy. There's no reason to not really like Corey Seager, even in the second round, which is where he's likely to be going. That's where I took him. I took him in the second round of my first draft. It was about an 18th overall, and that's where his ADP is, 19, with a minimum pick of 15, maximum pick of 27. I'm fine with him anywhere in that range. Even at the back end of the first, he proved this year that he does have that kind of value, even without stolen bases. Only two steals. But when you're hitting that many home runs, you're having this many counting stats, 88 runs and 96 ribbies in 119 games. Of course, to go along with a 327 batting average, 
it's hard to find any fault, right? 169 WRC plus, he was about 70% better than the average player. He was almost two players this season when he was on the field. If he's able to play a full season, there's no reason to doubt Corey Seager whatsoever. Of course, he will have that shortstop eligibility. That is the only position he is eligible at. I just want to clarify that, trying to do that for every player here in case there's any kind of questions in the offseason. He is just a shortstop 112 times at short, seven times he was a designated hitter. I would expect him to play, if he's healthy, 140 to 150 games at least, and probably maybe not replicate exactly per game what he did this year because it was kind of a miracle season how good he was. He equaled his home run total from the year prior in 32 fewer games. So it might be a tall feat to you know meet or surpass what he did again this season, but even if he's just 90% of what he was and he plays a whole year, you're probably looking at 40 homers, a 300 to 310 batting average, and those counting stats aren't going anywhere for a team that appears to be primed to just keep getting better and better as they get older here with guys like Carter and Lankford progressing, and I think Lankford will be up next season. To go along with guys like Semyon, to go along with Adolis Garcia, to go along with Seager, they are going to be a powerhouse. No reason to doubt Corey Seager in the second round, which is where he's likely to be going. The number six shortstop this season, it's kind of a surprise that he got up to even ranking this high considering how terrible he was to start the year. It was really a dreadful start. I don't think people were ever really thinking about dropping him. Maybe some people did, though, in really shallow leagues. That's Trey Turner. Trey Turner has been one of my favorite players, and for a time, you know, he can even argue that he is still my favorite player. Like, I just love what he does. I love watching him play baseball from his sweet swing, watching him play defense, watching him slide. I I just love everything about Trey Turner. Now, he started off absolutely miserably, and it wasn't even just like, uh, you know, the first week or the first couple weeks. We're talking months where it was ugly for Trey Turner. Now, I'm on record, and you can go search his name in my tweets, as saying I wasn't really that worried about Turner because this is something that we see happen quite a bit. First year of a new massive contract, and it was massive, $300 million over 11 years. That's a huge deal. You do not always see players excel right off the bat. You usually see an adjustment period, whether it's a couple months, whether it's a year. That's generally the long end of the timeline if it's a whole year. But we saw uh, Trey Turner turn it around like June, July kind of range. Whenever they gave him that standing ovation, he did seem to really turn it around. If you look at the first half versus second half numbers, it's night and day. 88 games in the first half, 10 home runs in a 247 batting average. Second half, we saw 16 homers in 67 games while batting 294. Across the board, if you look under the hood as well, he was just better in the second half of the season. He was striking out less. He was getting on base a lot more. If you look at the first half WRC plus, it's 84. He was 16% below replacement level player. Second half, he was 140. So you're looking at almost a player and a half worth of production there statistically. Trey Turner is somebody that I don't see why there should be much of a discount going into next season. There will be. Um, But based on, you know, the fact that, like I said, a lot of players struggle in their first year, I wouldn't look at what he did and say, he's likely to struggle again in year two uh, in this new deal. I think it's more likely than not that he is just going to come back to earth and be regular Trey Turner for the whole season. We're still talking about a guy who is just 30 years old, still right in the smack of his prime, who has been one of the best, most consistent players in baseball since he debuted. Even if you're looking back to like short sample sizes at the very beginning of his career, 2016 over 73 games, he's batting 342 with 33 steals, always had good power. And we've seen that power turn into 20-plus home run power over the last couple seasons, 28, 21, and 26. 
So now we're expecting 20-plus homers, 30-plus steals, and that batting average, you know, it was sunk by the first half. Still ended up at 266. Somebody that is a 296 hitter for their career over more than 1,000 games, you can expect that he is going to bounce back, and he is going to, assuming there's no huge bumps next year, bat in the 280 kind of range. I would see no problem uh, predicting that. My projections for him are probably going to be 285 kind of batting average because that's what he has done for his career. The power, the speed, the lineup combination around him is everything is great. There's no reason to doubt Trey Turner, and I know people will, but maybe they won't because looking at the price, his ADP is 10. He had a minimum pick of two and a maximum of 18. Somebody took him at number two overall. Will that happen a lot? I don't expect it to happen a lot. You know, I think that Carroll and I think that Julio and Bobby Witt and Mookie Betts are going to be the guys. And maybe even someone jumps up and takes Francisco, uh, Francisco, Fernando Tatis Jr. at number two to try and, you know, uh, like we mentioned, we're going to talk about Tatis soon here, but we mentioned that maybe he's going to take a leap like Acuna took last season, fully healthy, a year removed from surgery. So maybe some people will take him number two. I don't see a reason to take Trey Turner number two. I think he's probably someone who's like a back end of the first, but you might be able to get him at the beginning of the second. His maximum pick here is number 18. If you're getting Trey Turner a full round or 20 picks later than last year, because you got to remember, he was the 101 in a lot of drafts last year, the first overall pick ahead of Acuna, ahead of Judge, ahead of Jose Ramirez, ahead of everybody, and it was justified. And, you know, over the course of the whole season, you're talking about a guy who still finished as the number 34 ranked player. So there's not like it was a horrible, you know, 250th ranked season for Turner where it was just miserable. He was really good at the end. And 102 runs, 30 steals, 26 homers. Uh, you'll take that. In that lineup, I have no reason to doubt Trey Turner. I am going to be taking him if he's falling into the second round at all. And even late first, I don't think you can really go wrong with a guy who has one zero one potential. If he finishes as the number one overall fantasy player again, I don't think anybody would be terribly surprised in that lineup. Let's talk about number seven here, and it might come as a bit of a surprise, but it's Nico Horner. Nico Horner has become another really consistent player, another really consistent fantasy asset over these last couple of seasons. And I got to say, I wasn't really expecting this, especially, I mean, coming into this season, you maybe could have expected it a little bit. Coming into last year, like there was no reason to think at all that Nico Horner would have a season where he literally finished ahead of Fernando Tatis Jr. in terms of shortstop rankings. He's the next guy we're going to talk about on this list afterwards. And Tatis did have a down year by his standards, but it's still crazy to think that Horner has nearly a top 50 season fantasy ceiling. It was 52 if you're looking at the Yahoo player ranker. He had nine home runs, which is not terribly impressive, but 98 runs, 43 stolen bases, and a 283 batting average. Only a 12% strikeout rate and a 7% walk rate, so the, OB, uh, the OBP was very good at 346 as well. He's not this massive offensive talent, right? He's a 102 WRC+. plus. He's just a very solid player who's got good speed, and the fact that he is batting at the top of a lineup is going to mean that there is value there. Now, is it going to be this good every single year? I don't know that it'll be this number of steals every year, but I think what we got in terms of the other numbers are very reasonable to expect. We always knew he was going to be a high batting average player, even though the power was definitely in question for several years. We didn't think there was really much, if any, power there at all. But now we've got like 9, 10 home runs. Okay, we'll take that. It doesn't even matter because you're getting a 280 to 300 hitter who's going to steal. Will it be 40 steals? I wouldn't bet on that again, but in the 30-ish kind of range, I could definitely see. It was 20 last year with the new rules. He got up to 43. I think there'll be kind of an adjustment 
from both sides of the ball here, that teams are going to adjust better in terms of keeping guys at first base and not allowing them to steal, whether it be through alternative methods, working around the rules, pickoffs from home plate uh, after a pitch where there's like a quick throw to first, or maybe it's some rule that the league changes. I don't expect steals to be exactly the same next year. I'm not sure exactly how it'll look, but the guys who did have these crazy numbers, like Acuna's not going for 70-plus again. I doubt that Witt's getting 50, and I I doubt that Horner – uh, Nico Horner is going to get 43, but I think in the 30-ish range with a 280 batting average and probably in that 8 to 12 kind of homer range is what you can't expect out of him. And at that point, you got to be fairly interested. He's not somebody that is going to get those same kind of crazy price jumps like you'll see with certain other players that will go crazy, crazy high in drafts. Nico Horner is going as the 66th player off the board by ADP. I think at that price... It's totally reasonable. It's not like exceptional, right? It's not like it's a crazy cheap price where I have to have him in every league, but it's a decent enough price where I am happy to take him there where he's going. You're talking about the fifth round on the 15-teamer. That's generally uh, the price you are having to pay for Nico Horner, and I think that that's probably pretty reasonable. Second base and shortstop eligibility will be coming. He was 135 times at second and 20 times at short on the dot. 20 times is what you need there across all formats to be eligible, so he will have that. I'm, I'm not really you know, that awestruck one way or the other. I think that he's, I think he's very good, and for where he's going, he'll probably return that value. He's not somebody that I think is a terribly high upside play. I don't think that there's a ton of room to grow. Like I think that if there's any category where he could really see some growth, it's batting average. Like maybe we could see a 300 season out of him, but I wouldn't be saying, well, there's a good chance Horner hits 20 dingers next year, or there's a good chance he goes to 55, 60 steals. That's not where I would see the progression. I think it would be based on his profile. It would be batting average where you'd see a little bit of a boost from him. So it's surprising that he finishes the number seven second, or excuse me, as number seven shortstop overall. But at the end of the day, considering his numbers, I think that it's not too surprising. Now, what this lineup will look like next year without Cody Bellinger, it'll probably be a little bit worse. And I'm just assuming Bellinger's gone. I don't think he's coming back. Maybe he does, and that changes the equation a little bit. For right now, you probably regress the runs a little bit without Bellinger. Not sure the replacement level guy is going to be able to give you a season like Cody just did. But I think either way, uh, Horner, they are in the 60s, maybe even low 70s in terms of overall price is probably where I'd be looking to go with him. Let's talk Fernando Tatis. He was the number eight shortstop, and he is famously the best outfielder in baseball now, uh, pretty much, if you look at the advanced statistics defensive run saved. He was ridiculous. Now, he played once at second base. He played five times in center field, and he was 137 times in right field. So outfield is the position that he'll be carrying solely heading into next year. Over 141 games, once he came back from suspension, I think he played every single game except for one, because I think it was a 20-game suspension, if memory serves, and he came back you know, around April 20th, April something like that. So he played 141 games. He gave you 25 homers, 29 steals, and a 257 batting average, 91 runs, and 78 RBI. Generally pretty disappointing, I would say, uh, just based on expectations, right? If this was any player, any random player, you'd say, well, 25 and 30 with, you know, 257, that's pretty damn good. But for Fernando Tatis, that's probably not what we were expecting. Now, I alluded to this earlier today. I alluded to it on a podcast, I believe it was last week as well, that Tatis has a very good chance of being this year's Ronald Acuna in that he is now a full year removed from his surgeries. There have been a few of them. Uh, I believe shoulder and wrist, if memory serves. He's he's had a lot of trouble both on the field and off the field staying healthy. But now a full year removed from that, 
I think there's a good chance we see Tatis kind of return to his old form. 35 to 40 homers, 35 to 40 steals, and batting somewhere closer to the 280 range than the 250 range. That would be my expectation for Fernando Tatis. That lineup is still a question a little bit. Now, I think Soto will probably be there. I, I don't know for sure. That's just a total guess. I think he'll probably start the year there, and if anything, they, they really struggle. Maybe they trade him midseason. But I think Soto starts the year in San Diego. We know what he can do. We know what Manny Machado can do when he's fully healthy in a full season. Now, he had a down year this year. I don't expect that to really carry over too much into next year. Xander Bogarts is still who he is, and then you have other guys like Kim in that lineup who can be really solid run producers themselves. So I think from a team context standpoint, Tatis is a very safe draft pick. That offense should be one of the better offenses in all of Major League Baseball. And just from a Tatis point of view, he's capable of giving you a 40-40 season. So I have no problem with taking him in the first round because that is where he's going to be going, and you are kind of shooting for the upside there. But it is worth it considering the profile and considering what we have seen him do, even at the ages of like 20 and 21, like just ridiculous power, can hit for a great batting average, got great speed, good plate discipline. Everything points to Tatis coming back and being who exactly who we thought he was. Now his price is a little pricey. 6.4 is the ADP, 4 is the minimum pick, 10 is the maximum pick. That's what you're going to be paying for Tatis in these leagues, specifically NFBC. There's a chance in your home league next year, by God's grace, you might be able to get him in the second round because there will be some people who say, ah, Tatis this year, he finished in the 50s. I don't know if I'm really going to bet on that. The team was bad. And they wouldn't necessarily be wrong for even thinking that. I don't think it's the right way to go about it. I think based on what we've said, the year away from injury, the year away from the surgery, the fact that the team should be better, I, I would bank on him being first-round value next season, but you might be able to score him in the second round if people are still sour on him in their league. So I, I really like Tatis. Even though he's just going to be outfield eligible, like a couple of guys we've talked about today, he will be losing the position. But even in the outfield, specifically in five outfielder formats, there's nothing wrong with taking him in the first round, and even early in the first round. If you've taken him third or fourth overall, I can't say I hate it. You know, I really think that he is going to return some value close to that range. Let's talk about Gunnar Henderson. Gunnar Henderson is another interesting case. I think that he is really good, but I think that the price is not really matching up with what we saw production-wise this season. And I think at this point, I'm going to have to call myself out on Gunnar Henderson for next season, which is really unfortunate. But in the early drafts I'm seeing, he's going in the second round. His ADP is 25, with the minimum pick of 24, maximum of 28. That range is pretty solidified. There's a lot of players with huge gaps between their minimum and maximum pick. Henderson, everybody's kind of taken him in the second round there, and it kind of is curious to me. Now, he had a bad start to the season, finished up as the 68th overall player. I think this price is kind of expecting he's just going to take another jump forward. And this is something that I caution against. And this is somewhere where you're wrong sometimes and you're right sometimes and there's just nothing you can do about it. I think the process is right to fade these guys who are going exponentially higher the next year after they finish at a certain range in one year. And this past season, the example was Bobby Witt Jr. Bobby Witt Jr. finished around the 40s or the 50s in 2022. And then we were drafting him in the first round in 2023. Now, it panned out, but I still think it is good process to fade those guys because you are drafting them at their absolute ceiling. They have to return that price for it to be a value pick. Whereas if you're drafting them where they finished the year before, in that case, specifically for Witt, he should have been like a third rounder, third, maybe fourth rounder. You're not getting him at that price, so I don't know that there's a lot of value in taking a player at that price. If Gunnar Henderson returns top 25 value next year and you take him there, then that's good. 
but why are we pushing him up that price when he hasn't actually performed to that level yet? We, we're doing it with Royce Lewis right now. We're doing it with Nolan Jones, and there's a few other players that their prices are being kind of artificially inflated because people are expecting the growth to happen. And maybe the growth does happen. The growth does happen for a lot of players. But for every Corbin Carroll and Bobby Wood Jr., there's a Jared Kalanick and Joe Adele. And we don't really know. And you know, Gunnar Henderson is not Joe Adele. I'm not even close. He's actually performed at the major league level. But I'm saying that growth and prospect development is not linear. We might see Gunnar Henderson next year take a slight step back and hit 22 homers, only steal seven bases. The batting average is what it is at 250. It's not moving the needle one way or the other, really. And maybe the offense isn't quite as good because we have to be honest with ourselves. The Orioles got lucky this year to some extent. And you just kind of have to accept that as a fact because they're not a team that was expected to win 100-plus games. They won 101 games despite having no real true ace and without having a true super superstar in their lineup. Rutschman is on his way there. Henderson is on his way there. Mullins has kind of fallen off a little bit. They don't have a true stud. Grayson Rodriguez is going to be that. But as of this year, they did not have that. They overperformed. They did. Offensively, you're looking at about a middle-of-the-pack offense. They were 10th in hits per game, 15th in on-base percentage, 13th in OPS. They were 17th in home runs. So to expect Gunnar Henderson to take a huge step forward next year and just be a second-round value because, well, he's going to get better in his next year, I think is kind of a bad process. So as of right now, I think I got to be out on him in the second round, and I don't think I'd even be in on him in the third round. I just think the profile is that of somebody who's not going to have a terribly high batting average. We saw the steals, even with the expanded rules, were not great. And the power, you know, it's good, but 28 home runs, you can find that later on in drafts. So, uh, you know, you're, you're paying this price because of the potential, and it's because it's the new thing. It's the hot thing on the block. The Baltimore Orioles and their great 100-win team, they're not going to win 100 games next year. I can almost guarantee they are not going to win 100 games next year, and I don't know that they're going to be as good offensively, even though they were kind of just okay offensively. We saw some random, really good performances that I don't think are terribly repeatable. You know, Ryan O'Hearn having an 800 OPS. What the hell was that all about? Um, Aaron Hicks coming in and just being really excellent contribu- uh, contributor to the team as well. I don't know how likely that is. Probably not terribly likely. Like, I think they got pretty lucky this season, and to bank on Henderson per- producing second-round value next year is probably a bad bet. So if he's going in the second round come February, come March, I don't like drafting for that kind of upside in that range. That's where I'm looking for a stabilizer. Give me Marcus Simeon or give me Corey Seager in that same range every single time. I don't think it should even be close uh, which of the two guys you should prefer. Maybe I'll put in a poll later today and see who people would prefer between Semyon and Gunnar Henderson. Uh, but for me, it's got to be Marcus Semyon. He's just a lot safer uh, in that range. Let's talk about number 10, and that will wrap it up for us, and then we'll tomorrow go through 11 to 20. This is the first guy we're talking about today who did not return top 100 value. He was just outside of it, though. We are talking about the 103rd-ranked player for the season. And that's C.J. Abrams. C.J. Abrams was one of the waiver wire pickups of the season. If you're talking deep leagues, there's a pretty good chance that he was on rosters, although even in 15-team leagues, I don't think it's a guarantee that he was rostered because it was a bad start to the season for Abrams. He was not somebody that was really contributing much at all in the first half. But in the second half, and as a, for the season as a whole, he was really, really, really valuable. 18 homers, 14 stolen bases. He had 83 runs and 64 ribbies while also batting 245. 
Batting average is something that I think can go up. We saw in the minor leagues that he batted as high as 401. Now, that was rookie ball, but we also saw in double A he batted 296, and AAA he batted 314. He is somebody that should be able to get the batting average above 245. That's where it's been these last couple seasons, 245 and 246. He's run some pretty low BABIPs in the show, so I think that if he even gets back to where he was, not even exactly in the minors, but you know, in the BABIP, in the minors, he's running 330 to 375 kind of BABIP. Even if he's running like a 310, 320 BABIP, you're probably looking at like a 270 batting average to go along with incredible speed, decent power, and a lineup that should be getting better. I, I know I just got through saying that development is not linear, and it's not, but you got pieces who are coming along there in that lineup. Kibe Ruiz, he had a really strong second half. You have a couple of prospects still from the Soto deal who are going to be coming up. I think there's a chance, and Lane Thomas. I mean, Lane Thomas was himself like a top 20 fantasy player this year. If he's still there and those pieces are around Abrams at the top of the order, I'd like to think that he could probably give you close to 100 runs, 15 to 20 homers. I don't think the RBIs will be terribly high, but, you know, 60 to 70 kind of range. If he's able to get that batting average up, you're probably looking at top 50 value. Now, he's another guy that's going to be pushed up a lot because of the upside, and people love to take shots on this kind of player early on in drafts. His ADP is 41, minimum of 37, and a max of 49. Again, I want to remind you, it's only a few drafts. This might move around. But if that's the early price, I think it's maybe a little high. Even though I do like C.J. Abrams, I think the profile is really good. I think that he will be somebody who is a great major league player and a great fantasy contributor. I don't know that I want to pay a top 50 price for him when I think there are still some issues there. I think the team context is good, but it's not amazing. It's not like you can chalk him down for 100 runs and 100 ribbies. You're hoping for like 85 to 100 kind of range for the runs. I think that's probably what's going to happen, but it's not set in stone like I would say it was for a Trey Turner or a Francisco Lindor or a Corey Seager type because the team around him is still in flux, I would say, at this point. I think that he is not as safe a pick as people are maybe making him out to be in the third round. I think he is more of that upside play where you're hoping that he just progresses and you'd say, well, if he can just do what he did in the second half of the whole season, then I'm looking at one of the best players in baseball. Yeah, probably you are, but I don't think we can do it like that. Like just double his second half stats and then you're looking at 66 stolen bases, 22 homers. I I don't know that we can necessarily do that. I think he'll be very good. But another guy that I think is maybe being priced out of my interest here if he keeps going up and up, and we're talking low 40s, if he ends up being in the 30s and potentially sneaking his way into a third-round pick in 12-teamers, I don't think I can get on the bandwagon at that point. Fourth, fifth round, I'd be a lot more interested. But if he does sneak into the third, and he is going third in 15s already, I think that we're probably getting a little too pricey for my liking with C.J. Abrams. But let me know what you think over on Twitter at JoeOrico99, also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where we post all of our new content, podcasts, articles, and the works. All of it can be found over there. And SportsEthos.com is the website for you guys to check out all of our great new content right from the source. Back again tomorrow with part two, guys. But until then, take care, have a great night, and cheers. Cheers.